Challenge 31 we're in the midst of right now. I know some of you uh, have not been here the last two weeks, or maybe some of you, this is your first time here. So, so this is Challenge 31. There's a book in the Bible called Proverbs. It, it is packed with God's wisdom, just practical wisdom for today. It's packed with that. It has 31 chapters, so October has 31 days. And so the challenge is to take the day of the month and read and study that corresponding proverb and dig into it, see how God speaks and stirs and directs you. So we're, we're 14 days in, so I'm going to teach today on the chapters that you and I will be studying this week. I'll teach on chapters 15 to 21. And this is what I want to take out of it. There are at least, at least five chapters of the seven that talk about how to make good plans, how to make good plans. So I know some of you, you love to plan. You're planners. You're wired by God. In fact, this day, every minute's already planned out. You have me down for 30 minutes, no more, no less. So I'm going to try to hit that for you. You're planners, and you're thinking, finally, the guy's going to talk about making plans. Like, this is my Sunday. I love it. In fact, you might give me 60 minutes today on planning because you love to plan. But some of you, some of you are not planners. You're spontaneous, and you're sitting there thinking, how can I exit the room Make it look like it's an emergency, not like I'm just bailing. Because you, you love spontaneity. Planning is the last thing you, you yearn to do, you long to do. And I, I understand whichever side of the spectrum you're on. We have, we have two sons, and at, at very young age, we could tell that we were gifted by God with one who's an extreme planner, one who's extreme spontane, spontaneous. And so the extreme planner, at the age of six, this is not an exaggeration, we could give him any chores, any number of chores to do. He would never complain as long as we told him a day in advance. A day's warning, he had time to plan, no problem at all. But if we ever did, we tried, if we ever gave him a chore on the day of, it, true example, uh, more than once we said, would you take out the trash sometime today? His response, are you kidding me? Today's planned. There's no time to take the trash out. It's already planned. It's already booked. And, and after a year or two of that, we just learn. Just, just he plans. And, but our other son, the spontaneous one, if we'd gone to him a day in advance and said, hey, tomorrow sometime take out the trash, you know what he would say? Why are you telling me today? Jesus might come back before tomorrow. Like, this is a wasted conversation. Why are you telling me? So I understand you're on one spectrum, one end or the other. Or maybe you, you sliced it down the middle. But anything that's important in your life, in my life. It, it needs, it deserves some measure of planning. For example, relationships in your world, the ones that matter. Your relationship with God, it needs, it deserves some measure of planning. Um, friendships in your world, they, they need and deserve some measure. Family, maybe it's a spouse or children or parents or siblings, need some measure of planning. Beyond relationships, it's work or school. Either one of those matter, don't they? To do them well, they need some amount of planning. Money needs some amount of planning. If you or I don't do that, there's a train wreck waiting to happen, isn't there? Health. Health needs some measure of planning as well. I don't know about you, but when I'm tired or stressed, I make the worst health decisions. Totally. Several years back, we did a series called The Pursuit of Health. Ran several weeks, and one particular week I was teaching about nutrition and how to eat well and all. And it was a great Sunday. We had an expert on stage for a while. That night we had a big uh, symposium on it. It was, uh, it was extremely well done. It was a long, long day. I was exhausted when it was done. Marie was out of town, and I had not invested any planning on what to eat for supper. And so what I get this picture in my mind, this live picture of a chop house cheddar burger from Whataburger. <laughs> 
and, and, uh, which wasn't a problem because the entire series we talked about, we're not looking at extreme stuff. We're saying there's still room for some ice cream, just not all the time, and still room for a burger, but not all the time. And so, so it was in the context. I'd not had a fast food burger in several months, and so I'm thinking, man, I, I have to have one of those tonight. But it dawned on me, we'd had this place full of people, and they'd heard me talk about nutrition, and the water burger's right down the road, and if they see me there, they wouldn't know how long it had been since I last had one. They thought I might have I I had one for lunch. And so, so they'd think I was a hypocrite. So I thought, oh, man, there goes the chop house cheddar burger. Until I remembered there's one on 646. <laughs> it's about 20 minutes away. And, you know, I can go there and get one. And I don't have to explain. It's been a few months. And so I go down there and, and I've, I order my chop house cheddar burger. And I pull into the drive through And this sweet young girl pops out the window and says, you're the pastor of my church. <laughs> when, when, I, when I don't plan well <laughs> about something that matters, whether it's health or work or money or, or, or God, I, I, I don't do well, and you don't either. For you engineers in the crowd, uh, there's this deal called the law of entropy. And what it means is for any closed system Unless you add energy to that closed system, what's inside will decay and unravel, become disorganized. The same is true of anything important to you and me. God, family, friends, work, money, all that, unless there's some energy of planning poured into it, it will begin to decay and unravel. So I want to take uh, five Proverbs that speak to making good plans. And, and I'll walk through them one at a time. I want to take the Apostle Paul's life and show you how each one played out in his life. So the first one is this, Proverbs 16, 25. It says, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. A path before each person that seems right, but ends in death. So Acts chapter 9, verses 1, here's the setting. This is after Jesus had come to the planet, after he had launched his ministry, he had preached, he would healed the sick, raised the dead. After he was killed on a cross and rose from the dead after he ascended to heaven. So now there are these early followers of Jesus that are going about telling others about Jesus. And, and this is a growing group of people that follow Jesus now. And so this picks up on one person at that same era. We call him Paul. He was first known as Saul. Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them back, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. This was his plan. He was going to go there, find followers of Jesus, arrest them, bring them back in chains so they could be executed. And, and he was a very intentional guy. He was a brilliant man. And he was deeply convinced this was the will of God. I mean, this path seems so right to him. He was so convinced this is exactly what would bring the applause of God. But you and I, in hindsight, we know better, don't we? The proverb said, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. It's not just Paul's, Saul's circumstance there. I knew a man, um, I think he stepped into heaven by now, but I, I met him in retirement, and I knew he had worked a long, hard life, had a job that didn't pay a lot of money. Retirement was pretty lean. And he was telling me that soon after retirement, one of his friends who was very wealthy and who was a brilliant investor made his money investing. He, he'd watched in, his friend 
invest and succeed over and over and over and over again. And he told his friend one day, if, if, if I only had had the chance to invest in what you invest in, I just wish I'd ever had the chance. And his friend said, well, next time I invest, I'll tell you. Like, you can invest too. And so when his friend told him, he gathered up all of their life savings. And he invested in this one venture. And it was one of the rarer ventures that there was a bust. And they lost it all. There's a way that seems right to each person but it ends in loss, damage, death, tragedy. There's a good end to that story. This friend was a, a really good friend, and, and unbeknownst to my friend, when he, he recognized what had happened, he very quietly in his next venture, he took an equal amount of his money that my friend had invested, put it into the next venture. When it, when it succeeded, he took all of that and gave it to my friend. And so, uh, you know, they weren't uh, on the streets, but, uh, but, but do you understand what the proverb is saying, there's a way that seems right. Some of you are in your marriage right now, and there's a way that seems right. Maybe it's the only way you've ever seen it done. It's the only way you've ever thought it could be done, but it's not working. This proverb might apply to you. There's a way that seems right to a person, but it ends in loss or damage or death. It, it, could that be you? Or could it be this relationship you have with God. You, you give him a shout out now and then. You acknowledge him now and then. You, you readily say he's God. You readily say he, committed, he, he uh, created the world. He created you. You readily acknowledge all that stuff, but you actually have him in this very nice, confined, safe box so you can run your whole life. And it seems right. And maybe it's going seemingly really good right now, but there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends and death. Is there a path that you are on right now of one type or another that seems right but ends in death? All of us can fall into this at any time. Every single one of us is prone to fall into this trap, and we need this proverb at all times. Okay, second proverb is this. It's, it's 16.9. It says, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So we make our plans, you and I will make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I pick up in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, where Saul has arrested all of these. He's, uh, he's already arrested many. Now he's got permission to go to Damascus and arrest more. Verse 3, as Saul was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the one you're persecuting, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what, must, what you must do. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Can you see where God intervened with Paul, Saul? Intervened, where God interceded in all the plans that, that he had at that time? The Lord determines our steps. You and I can never predict when God is going to, is going to change the tables, turn the tables on us. We can never predict that. It will always be within his character. When you have a path that you're on and you want to stay on it, and all of a sudden it just gets changed by God, it's within God's character. God is he's holy, he's righteous, he's just, he's loving, he's gracious, he's all of those things. You and I will never be able to figure out the when and the, the how and the why, but it will always be within terms of his character. Back when I was going to, to A&M, I had registered in I, I loved math. It was my favorite subject, so I registered as a math major, 
And I actually got to A&M, and I found out that to be a math major, you had to take two classes in a foreign language, and it couldn't be Spanish to graduate. And I thought, no way am I going to do that. You know, I love math. I don't love math that much to take two classes in a foreign language. And so my brother, who was older than me, said, well, there's this thing called engineering, and they use math, and maybe you could just write that down in the blank spot. And I wrote it down. Now, I don't know that that was God changing my steps. I suspect it was because I'm so much more wired and made for engineering than ever was math. I'm just, I'm just wired for that kind of work, that kind of approach, and, and my whole life has been different in ways I can see God's hand in than it would have been otherwise. I think, I think it was one of those cases we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Several years back, Marie and I had been looking for a house. We lived in a home where all the bedrooms, all the bathrooms were all upstairs. We had aging parents and didn't know how long they could get up and down stairs, and and we realized the day would come when we would age as well. So we looked for two years for a house, finally found one, uh, signed a contract. We're all excited about it. Construction began. You know how the feeling goes when they begin to, to grade the property and you see progress made. Then they pour foundation, great news, and so on and so on. So getting all excited. And all of a sudden in the, in the construction process, we realized there's been a massive error in construction. They are not building our house. They're building someone else's house on it. I can't tell you how disappointing it was. My first thought was tear it all down. You know, dig up the foundation. There's no way they would do that. And so we ended up having to, with them, like just tear up the contract, and the house was history. We never, never got to set foot in it. They're very discouraging at the time. A couple of years passed, and a good friend of Marie's uh, happened to mention to her, there's this new neighborhood. You might want to check it out. I know you've been looking for a house for years now. Marie mentioned the neighborhood, and I said, no way. It's too far from that water burger that I, you know, had to go to every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> but, but she checked it out, and now what's unfolded is we ended up for less money getting a bigger house, bigger lot, all of that. Now, do I know that was God redirecting our steps? No, I'm not sure. I don't know. I think it was. I mean, God does things like that. There have been some gains. He doesn't always direct them to the easier path. I could tell you stories of him directing our paths. We think he directed our paths to the harder path sometimes. And yet it was all because he loved us and had grace for us and all that kind of stuff. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Friend, this is good news. This is really good news because I have chosen some bad paths sometimes. This is good news. God has, he takes the prerogative to intervene anytime he wants, anytime he wants, and to change our paths. When has God done this in your life? Think back. When has he done this in your life? Third proverb, Proverbs 15, 22 Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. I'll stick with Paul. This time, Acts 13. Some time has passed, and uh, Saul has become Paul, who follows Jesus now. And so he's um, in Antioch. He's meeting with some other people that follow Jesus. Chapter 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas... Simeon, called the black man, Lucius the Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And so this was part of Paul's practice. He often gathered with other people that knew and followed Jesus. 
and talked with them and prayed with them and pondered with them. And this was one of those cases where, where in that setting, God spoke collectively to a group. It wasn't just a case of Paul sensing all by himself, all alone. God said, go on this wild journey that's going to lead you on an adventure that's going to cost you everything. This is a place where there was a setting and there were other people that were praying and listening and fasting. And collectively, they all heard. They all felt God say, I want Paul and Barnabas to go on this wild journey across part of Europe. Man, there's this power that comes, Scripture says, from having wise advisors. Before the harbor ever started, the decision was made to have the harbor led by a board of directors. Some churches would call it a board of elders, but the decision was made that all major decisions would be made collectively by a group. They would not be made solely by one person. Now, as I say this, I honestly think there are many churches that God leads another way. I think there are many churches God leads to have a senior pastor who has the final say. I think God does that, and I see many of those churches thriving. They're doing what God directed. But God directed us to do it collectively. So almost 21 years now, every major decision has been a group of people, and the group has changed as the years have gone on, a group of people praying, asking God, looking for God's wisdom. Sometimes it's taken us a long, long time to to all sense the same thing. We never said we had to be in unanimity, but in almost 21 years, every decision has been. But some came with a lot of prayer, a lot of thinking, a lot of waiting, a lot of listening. The Living Hope ministry that... Tim talked about the banquet coming up and all. It was one that we prayed about a long time. It's a ministry for those that have unwanted same-sex attraction. It's for the family and friends of those who have unwanted same-sex attraction. And we thought and prayed a long time about whether this was something God wanted us to do because the whole premise of this ministry is for anyone, including someone with same-sex attraction, is to fall in love with Jesus and follow him with abandon and let him change every single aspect of your life, including your sexual life. Same sex, different sex, whatever it is. That's the whole premise of it. But after a long, long time of prayer, there was this unanimity. That's what God wants us to do. And, and Tim said it well. If, if you are lacking for inspiration, you need to come to the banquet November 3rd and, and hear the stories of, of the deep what God's doing then took a long time to pray about this revived ministry that is for those who are just simply seeking to live a life of true sexual purity that's just launched. A lot of you know we had a, an extended um, like 72-hour program for men week before last. And, and the profound impact in those 72 hours, unbelievable. But we prayed for two or three years before we launched that ministry saying, God, is this where you want us to go? Do you want us to walk into this? And then part of the time was, who will lead it? It has to be the right person to lead. It has to be the right person. We have to have the resources, all that. If I'm thankful that God called us to lead collectively. If he'd called us to lead with me having the final say on everything, we would have missed out on so much. We would have missed out on so much. But there's, there's truth in this for all of us as we were planning Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. So choose your advisors well. Choose them well. And and you probably will need several of them. You may need one advisor around spiritual matters, perhaps. Maybe another around financial matters. And maybe a different one around family matters. And maybe a different one around health matters. But, 
but choose wise people you can sit down with and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm looking at, this is what I'm pondering. Choose wise people. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Is this an area that you need to go find a wise advisor in or multiple wise advisors in? Fourth proverb is this, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend upon your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Let me, let me read it again and, and break it down. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This level of trust means simply obedience. You trust God so much, you will simply do what he says. You will yearn to hear and do what he says. Trust, that, that kind of deep trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all of your being. Do not depend on your own understanding. Like, don't just go wing it apart from God from God's direction. Seek his will in all that you do, not the big stuff, not the big and medium stuff, all that you do. And he, listen to this stunning promise, and he will show you which path to take. One of the most stunning promises in scripture. If we bring this heart of trust, which says, God, you just show me and I will do it. We bring everything to him. We seek it. He said, I'll tell you, I'll show you. I will show you. There's this parallel verse in the New Testament, James 1, verses 5 and 6. And it's one of the most meaningful verses to me in Scripture. It parallels this Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. You know how that's played out? Many times I've had important decisions to make, and I haven't had any writing in the sky from God. I didn't have any visions from God. There was a, a, a decision point rapidly arising, and I had felt nothing, no promptings, and I was left, all I was left with was just my own simple common sense. But I could say to God, God, you know my heart. Like, I have asked you to tell me. You know I'll do whatever it is I haven't heard you, so I'm about to do this, and I'm confident you're going to stop me if, this, if, I'm, if I'm missing the boat. If I'm choosing the wrong path, you will stop me. Do you know the confidence, the peace that comes from that? And this is the stunning promise of God. Trust everything to him with all of your heart. In other words, you will do whatever he says. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you the path. I was thinking of this this morning because exactly six years ago today, Six years ago today, there was a man sitting in a seat, one of these seats right over here. It was that day that he gave leadership of his life to Jesus. That day, we, we used the term carte blanche, which means blank check. The whole idea was Jesus is asking us to give him our entire lives as a blank check for him to write on and to fill out and all. And this man did that six years ago today. Marie and I were having supper with him and his wife sometime into that, way into that. I don't know, four or five years into that. And we were asking about their dreams, and, and they were passionate about, they were going to die here at the harbor. They were going to die here in the Bay Area, and passionate, and you could see it in them. You could see the impact they were making. If I told you names, a lot of you would recognize their names. Passionate about it. But right about this time a year ago, God spoke to them. They were the kind of people that they, they trust God with their whole heart, and they would seek him and what to do. One of those times of seeking, unexpectedly, God said, I got a new plan for you. I'm going to move you out of state. And it was crystal clear. There was such clarity about that. And because they're the kind of people, they just say, God, 
show us and we go. They've, they've gone, they've done that. There was a case of them saying, God, we, we trust you. We know what we want. We trust you. Just you tell us and we go. And they're thriving. They're thriving. Now, there's peace and confidence in that promise. Do you need to freshly lean in with this kind of trust to God to say, God, you tell me and I'll do it. I don't care what it is, I'll do it. Do you need to ask him in some of the smaller things or some of the bigger things that have been missing in your prayer time? Do you need to follow through? One final one, and this one is, uh, this is really encouraging news. Proverbs 21, 30 and 31. It says, No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Okay, so no human wisdom or plan can stand against God in God's plans. Uh, the victory belongs to God. And then the verses I'd give you in Paul's life, there's a, got some verses in Acts 21. So by Acts 21, uh, Paul has done a bunch of traveling, told a lot of people about Jesus. Many people have followed. But now he's in Jerusalem. He went there knowing, because God told him in advance, knowing he, was gonna, he, was, he would suffer there. So he was beaten and arrested and all this in Jerusalem. And then I give you another verse in chapter 23. And by that time, he's still in this horrible condition. Uh, he's a prisoner now. At that point, God says, uh, you're going to go to Rome to tell people about my son Jesus. And then I give you another uh, passage then in Philippians 4.22. So his situation just gets progressively worse from the Jerusalem setting, from the beatings to prison, then trial that took a long, long time. He finally heads to Rome in a ship. And some of you would know that his ship has, it's shipwrecked. And uh, so he's shipwrecked and all this stuff happens. He finally gets to Rome. When he's in Rome, he, he's imprisoned. He, he's stuck as this prisoner. And he, yet God said, I want you to go to Rome, tell people about my son Jesus. And he's stuck in this prison cell. But since he asked him several times, he thought he'd write some letters to some friends. And we call one of those letters now Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the New Testament. Call another one Philippians, and another Colossians, another Philemon. And, and now for 2,000 years, people have been reading those letters. Some have come to Christ because of those letters. Some have grown in Christ. We've grown because of those letters. And, and yet it seemed like from the from the eyes of the world, it seemed like it was all lost, and yet God was doing this. And then my favorite part is the very end of the book of Philippians, which is one of the last letters that he wrote. It's the last sentence or two. He's saying, oh, by the way, the, the followers of Jesus here, especially those that live in Caesar's house, it's in their love. Now, think about that with me. In those days, Caesar wasn't just king. Caesar was con considered to be God. And this is saying that, that now because of Paul being there, now there's some people that live in Caesar's own house, and they have traded gods. They don't view Caesar as God anymore. They view the God of the universe as God now. They don't serve Caesar any longer. They live in his house. They eat his food. They don't serve him any longer. Like they serve Jesus now. And it was the beginning of the unraveling of Caesar's empire, which we know collapsed, and the growing of Jesus' empire one life at a time, life by life by life. Some of you today, you need to hear this one. No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. That means his good plans for you. His good plans for you. Some of you need encouragement today. 
You're where Paul was in Jerusalem where he was taking the beatings. You're where he was uh, in Caesarea Philippi where he was imprisoned for the longest time. It seemed like nothing was happening. Nothing was moving. It wasn't even a breeze in the air. Maybe you're in the middle of the shipwreck right now. Maybe you're in Rome and you're wondering why it seems stalled. But there's a pen and paper somewhere to write a letter. Or there's someone that happens to drop by or you happen to drop by them to begin to tell about Jesus. And maybe in a very different sense, they're in the household of Caesar right now. They got another God. They come by you in the stillness and the seemingly inactive inactivity of your life that seems to have stalled. They come by you. Have the presence of mind to tell them about Jesus. And someday, you never know the stories that might be told. You need to know that God prevails. God wins. So let me pull it together this way. I've given you five Proverbs. I, I want to summarize each one very briefly. And as you hear them, the one that latches onto your heart, I want you to focus on that one. See what you do with that one today, this week. So here they are. The first one says this. There's a way that seems right that leads to death. Are you in that path now? Does that grab your heart? Do you need to wrestle with that? There's a way that seems right, a path that seems right, it leads to death. Second one is, God can and does at times redirect our steps. Does that grip you now? Do you need to ponder that, think about that, reflect upon when he has or if he is right now? The third is, trust God, seek his will in everything. Does that grab you? Is that what you need to begin to pour in and invest and grow? The fourth is seek wise counsel. Get wise advisors in your life. Is that you? Is that yours? And then the final one is just remember, God wins. No matter how bad it gets, God wins. Remember that. So I would encourage you to, to grab one of those, take one of those, and, and then as the band comes up, we're going to roll from this time of reflection about this wisdom God's given including the wisdom of knowing in his love and grace and power, he wins, and every one of us can join him. He wins, knowing that. The band's going to come up and lead us in a song of worship of the God that made everything, the God that made you and me, and the God that, that loves you with this immeasurable love, the God that's poured out grace upon you, the God that has good plans for you in your life. We're going to worship him. And so let me say a prayer, and then I hope you'll be able to stand and really worship God from the heart for who he is. Father, there's some profound wisdom in these five simple Proverbs. More than one has gripped me this week, and I'll need to focus on more than one. But I pray here in this room, anticipating that you actually have spoken to everyone in this room pray everyone in this room has at least one of these that they've begun to ponder and reflect upon and that they'll take from here and put before you and ask you to show them how to respond to this truth, Father. You're a great God. You love for us to come as your children and ask. So that's what we'll do, Father. And now, Father, we're going to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.